burgers and corn dogs, turkey legs and ronto wraps, you are now tuned into the Disney Holic Show. Hello and welcome to the Disney Holic Show. That's Jen Diz. And that's Mike TV. We hope you saved your appetite because we have Chef Dave, a Disneyland food photographer, on the show. Then we visit the history of Plaza Inn Restaurant and play the ultimate Disneyland foodie challenge. my gosh spooky halloween just passed and i'm still feeling the the halloween vibes though they're not ready to die over here oh, yet. i heard I'm you might already, have already put up your christmas tree i'm ready for christmas i'm following all the mariah <laughs> memes and instagrams and halloween is over uh but it was a pretty fun spooky weekend i guess right what did you do uh, yeah um did you do anything special for halloween i watched spooky movies and scary things. I played a lot of Ghostbusters video game. Um, and then I just looked outside the window. You know, we, I live on like a brownstone lined street here in Brooklyn. So I watched some of the kitties go by in their costumes. We did not give out candy, but it also started raining here at night. So I think most <gasps> oh, people, no. the combination of that and I guess trick-or-treating earlier. I don't, when I was a kid, it used to be nighttime when we went around. But most of these kids were doing it in the day. Oh my, like daytime, daytime? Like maybe four started? Oh, wow. Okay. That's funny you say that because this is one of the very first years that I'm able to stay home and just dedicate to trick-or-treaters. And I posted on Facebook in the afternoon. I was like, all right, so like what time do kids trick-or-treat nowadays? Because <laughs> I haven't paid attention in so long. Um, and most people were saying six. Um, however, I set everything up at like 545 closed my door and immediately had knocks on the door and I was so excited I was like yes I'm gonna get trick-or-treaters this is gonna be so cute and there was like a group of like eight super adorable kids all in costume trick-or-treating um and then not a single soul came by my door for the rest of the night so (laughs) just the the first group you know in movies though they're always trick-or-treating and it feels like it's like midnight like go home yeah and that's how i remember it too staying out real late and i'd be so tired by the time we got home yeah it would feel like a park day you'd be tired right and then you'd trade your candy you'd organize your candy in little piles that's so funny i never did that probably because i didn't have a sibling around my age right like by the time i was born my brother was done (laughs) trick-or-treating already (laughs) that's a good point now i never had done that until i was with you at um oh disney the world mickey's yeah. whichever one it was that we went to at that time yeah mickey well, Mickey's i think it was still yep it was still so that that's one. Fu- i like doing that because even with the candy that we got from oogie boogie bash that um we didn't do the trade that was just a very busy week d23 expo but when i got home i finished mostly most of the ca- candy the one i would have traded if anybody wanted it was three musketeers there was quite a lot oh. of those in there that's hilarious because i was looking for one of those today through the bag of leftover halloween candy <laughs> oh darn so you would have liked it if i had to give those away oh there you go yeah i did eat I it like milky way now like who's who have i become milky ways and three musketeers like <laughs> nougat, <laughs> just become a different nougat. person um but, but yeah, yeah i watch spooky movies you watch spooky movies i finally watched werewolf by night which i know you've been eager to talk to me about so i saved that for halloween weekend 
Yes. Um, but wait, I have to tell you one more thing oh, about ooh, Halloween. Yeah. I did a, a few other things. I had a whole lot of Halloween going on here. It was really fun. However, I went to a local little Halloween area. I don't know how else to explain it. It's like this local small town vibe. Um, and not such a small town anymore. It's Fremont, California. It's not like <laughs> yeah, it's some like tiny, cute little town. It's, you know, got a lot of population going on here. And, um, but they had that vibe so much, that small town vibe. And it reminded me so much of Hocus Pocus 2, that scene where they're in those little like midway area where they have the little games to play and you could buy caramel apples, go through a haunted house through the old like historic house that's there in Fremont. It was actually like absolutely 100% my favorite part of this Halloween season this year. And I'm going to go back every single year. Single what? year. It was just like adorable. We had apple cider, like hot apple cider and caramel apples and went through the haunted house. And the games have not changed. Have you, did you go there when you were little? No. Uh-uh. No, not to the Fremont Hub? Uh-uh. Oh my gosh. This is the, that, like that old scary looking house that's in the parking lot? Yeah. So wow. they put a haunted house walkthrough through that. And then they have like a bunch of little tiny midway games that they set up for you to play. And for instance, there's this one where they have all these lollipops in like a styrofoam thing where like you pull them out of it. And if you pull one out that has a colored bottom, like the stick has a color on it, you win a certain prize. So you have to pick the lollipops. And it was just like so weird to see that something hasn't evolved but it doesn't need to, I think. So I think that's great. It gives that old nostalgia vibe and like just the right kind of spooky to where it's like nighttime. They have a haunted house if you'd like. They also have the good fairies to walk you through if you're too scared. So like oh, the scary cute. line and the good fairy line. Um, and it just was like sweet and everything was super inexpensive. Like it was $4 to go through the haunted house. And, what? Like, the games it? are 50 cents. Like even yeah. the way you're describing it. They could charge more because people love that nostalgia stuff. <laughs> right. I think that like was part of it. It's just like an easy family fun thing to do. And we ended up going there on the night before Halloween and it was packed. So wow. we went twice. Why so is cute. that house there? It's a historic. It's like supposedly one of the very first, if not the first house built in Fremont. Wow. <laughs> it's so weird and like out of place. I always remember it. That yeah, it's like at the shopping center. Yeah, like it makes me think of one of those houses they like, like the up house where yes. they they won't they refuse to move. You exactly know, that. it might have some story behind it like that. <laughs> but um, now it's a historical monument for Fremont. But so cute! Oh my gosh! So that was my favorite, and it just like watching Hocus Pocus two made me think of that place. And then I went to it, and then it was even more so like I remembered than I ever thought it would be. It was just very sweet. Oh, so, that's cute. Yeah. So if you're in the Bay Area and you live near Fremont and you feel like doing something cute for next Halloween, I totally recommend stopping by. It's nothing like crazy. It's like an hour, like give an hour to come hang out and you'll be like totally sweetened by the end of the night. Yay. But yes, speaking of night, werewolf fun night. I was so excited after I watched this to talk to you about it. And then your freaking ass held it until (laughs) Halloween. I was like, no, I want to talk about it so bad. (laughs) So I don't even know where to start. What did you think about it? Um, Well, 
Okay, so for those who, it's, it's it's kind of a random movie, right? So it's on Disney Plus. It's a Marvel special presentation, which is one of the new formats they're using to tell stories that are not a series, but not a full length theatrical movie. So the format was new for us. So I was like, okay, I wonder what this is going to be like. And then um, it's based also on a very obscure supernatural Marvel comic character called Werewolf by Night. And directed by Michael Giacchino, who normally does musical scores. So we knew all this going in. And all of that to me was like exciting stuff. Like, okay, this is new. This is interesting. Um, I loved it. It was like pure, like old school cinema. They figured out how to make the black and white work. And the set pieces were just gorgeous. It felt like what they were trying to do, like what Michael said at D23 Expo, like he said he was right. trying to make this a tribute to those old kind of movies while telling the story. It, it was everything it should have been. I loved it. That's exactly how I feel. Like, you know, they'll give you these expectations and it's not always hitting them. This one hit it 100%. And I've always loved those old monster movies. However, like this one to me feels like a modernized old monster film but it, it's still I don't know how to explain it like it it feels okay to watch today and then still feels just like the old ones it has yeah. that same feel to it but it doesn't feel like some of the old ones are a little quirky and like some people if they didn't watch them when they're younger they might not get into it um but I've, I've always like loved the old like Frankenstein movies for instance etc the old monster films and it just fit that so well like and even yeah. the the black and white like the way they filmed it, it even had like the um, like the edges had like black kind of around the edges, like it was shadowy on yeah. the edges, and they and had it kind those of flickered film strip spots when you're supposed to change yeah, the reel. Yeah, they had the burn spots. Yeah, I saw oh my that. god, very cool. And then because it is modern, they're able to use some visual effects. And anytime they talked about the bloodstone, which was like the MacGuffin of this story. It was red. It was the only thing in color. And that was so cool. Like it, it made sense for the thing. Like sometimes that could be corny, but it ma- it worked really well. It worked. Yeah, yeah. It looked like done. Like it was a like, classy in yeah. a way. Like, and it, it was, even glowed. It nice. So like the edges of where it was glowing turned back to black and white. It was so good. And, <laughs> it was super, um, super cool. And it looked like from what I could tell, I didn't really watch any behind the scenes of it yet, but it looked like they used all practical effects, which is similar to what they would use back then. So maybe that helps add to that like artisan <laughs> quality. True. To it. Uh, but the set pieces looked so fun. Like I wanted to walk through them. Like you could tell. Yeah. These were it's built. like a labyrinth. Like somebody built it. Like, yeah. So, so cool. Very cool. Yeah. I liked everything about it. Um, I was left wanting more. However, I felt like I just watched a film also, even though it was short. How long was it? Was it an hour or yeah, about 45 like 55 minutes? minutes, I believe. Somewhere in between there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I, I just want more of it. But then I think you said it best, like it was made to be that length. And like, I think it might have. Like, sometimes when you get too much of something, it's, like, not as good. So Yeah, if they were forced to, like, fill it. Um, yeah, the no filler. Yeah. <laughs> it was all just jam-packed, and it was, like, the perfect amount. It didn't feel stretched. It didn't feel, like, crammed. It felt just right. So, oh, I loved it so much. It was cool. There, another um, a visual that still stays in my head is when Gael Garcia Bernal, who's, who plays Werewolf by Night, 
when he transforms from his human self to the monster self and they show the shadow transforming in the yes. that's just so classic right so good so classic it was so good and then uh he's a really good actor too and so i'd, I'd love to see to your point see more at least of this character or story in some way and right. um it seems like they are leading up to all the supernatural things. It's look. This was about a group of sort of monster hunters, like a bunch of Van Helsings coming together, and they even introduced um, another monster from the comics. I think I think he's called Man Thing. I already forgot. I wrote it down earlier, uh, but they didn't call him by his character's name. They called him Ted, which was so cute, <laughs> and yeah. it reminded me of Gossamer. You remember from oh, Looney Tunes. <laughs> Because he was actually a sweet monster. He was so cute. He would just like hug people and they talk to him like a friend. (laughs) So cute. Uh, Um, Yeah. So highly recommend if those of you haven't checked it out yet, um, watch it. I also want to talk a little bit about these special presentations. Any other thoughts though on Werewolf by Night? No, I think it was just really solid. I think, uh, oh, one more thing. I was noticing that it's, it was kind of set up like a battle royale. Yeah. To where like. And now it's kind of like, why are they killing each other off? Because they kind of need each other. They're like all the, they're all, all the best monster hunters in the planet or yeah. whatever. But I'm like, don't kill each other. You guys need each other's help. Um, but they were all set out to capture this creature. So, you know, I guess they kind of had to. But it was uh, an interesting way to see it done was um, adding the battle royale aspect into it. So. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. I was like... Same. It was like Hunger Games at one point. I was like, oh, my God, this is getting crazy. Right. Yep. <laughs> I love that. Um, so these Marvel special presentations, I'm already hearing from, you know, the rumor mill and the blogs and things that they are now converting some of these projects that were already in development into special presentations. So I guess the format worked well, probably got a lot of views. And uh, so some of the things like... Um, some of these like side storylines that are supposed to be told for things like Iron Wars might become a special presentation and then Iron, War- Iron Wars becomes its own movie. And so there is no series anymore. Uh, so it gives them some oh. stuff to play around with. Or like, Someone had mentioned they would have loved an America Chavez special feature just to introduce her before. Before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. they have this format now. So Kevin Feige and, and co can fool around with that oh wait i also wanted to mention in, in terms of spooky movies i also watch barbarian which is a scary horror movie divides some of the pe- horror movie fans so people should check it out but it is it's very violent it's rated r and it's on disney plus in the uk australia and canada so <laughs> here we go again with these weird decisions uh, but here in the u.s you can catch it on hbo max I did do some research there. I'm like, what is going on? Because HBO is Warner Brothers. But it turns out 20th Century Studios had this um, first look deal for streaming rights for anything Disney and 20th Century made after the acquisition. So anyways, that explains it. So if you do want to watch it, you have to watch it on HBO Max if you live in the U.S. But yeah, these weird, scary, violent things like horror story on Disney Plus. (laughs) Interesting stuff. That is interesting. Um, Oh. Hello, I guess we have a guest. 
All right, Disney Holics, today we have a very special guest on the show. He's a chef, he's a photographer, and I've heard he can make a mean salsa. It's Chef Dave! Welcome yeah. to the show! Hi, everyone! It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm super stoked about this. Yeah, we are very excited to have you. And today's episode is all about food, so I thought having Chef Dave on the show was a perfect time for that. Um, but, but we have two topics that were actually sent to us from our patrons, both with very much so food-related questions. So let's jump right in as maybe somewhat of an icebreaker session. Um, the first question was, what are your five least favorite snacks? And this was brought up by Pamela. And I, I like that it's least because we always get the best one, right? We, we've gotten that question before. What's your favorite? But like, what is what do you just avoid at Disneyland? <laughs> What do I avoid no matter what? It's kind of tough because the food is always at least uh, amusement amusement park fun, for lack of a better term, you, no matter what you're kind of eating. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I would say that um, I don't eat the fries at Disneyland too much anymore because I liked the McDonald's fries back when they had them when the contract was Oh, the, the Westward Ho. Yeah, that thing was really super cool. I'm not a big fan of the fish and chips at, at the Golden Horseshoe. Oh, because they're straight Cisco. They're straight Cisco fish and chips. Ooh. Um, oh, I would say that um, I don't like the candy store too much anymore because they don't sell root beer root beer barrels, and oh, um, yeah. anymore. Which was funny because I was there and they didn't have root beer barrels, and I literally texted one of my friends who's Disney corporate, and I was like, "Where are the root beer barrels?" And yeah. Like, well, you know, our market research said that blah blah blah, and I was just like. Yeah, well, that still sucks, guys. So uh, I'm trying to think what's the other thing I probably wouldn't eat there. I don't like the corn dogs from. I like the corn dogs at Corn Dog Castle better than the ones <gasps> at the Main Street. Blasphemy! I know that's unbelievable, but I think they are actually better. Yeah. I was gonna say, are you gonna tell me something that's gonna make me not want to eat them ever again? No, because they're actually pretty. They're pretty substantial, and, and okay, <laughs> and, and even that. What's the small one by Main Street called again? The Red Wagon. The Red Wagon. Even the Red Wagon, Red Wagon is it's a smaller operation, but they keep that place really nice and clean. Okay, what's the last thing that I don't really eat at Disney anymore? Uh, trying to think. Uh, I don't like the chicken sandwich that they had at Tomorrowland Terrace slash Galactic Grill. They had a chicken sandwich there that I was mm. not much of a fan of, so... Those are my five low points at Disneyland, I think. All right. Mike, how about you? I have a... <clears throat> a lot of mine are um, things that I want but I can't have. So I'm going to start with Gibson Girl ice cream. It's because I'm lactose intolerant and I want it so bad. And every time I walk by and I smell the waffle cones. Uh, so that's my least favorite only because I can't have it. And then a few others are the popcorn. I just don't eat popcorn. It gets in my teeth. Not a popcorn person. Um, along the same lines, I would say candy apple. Usually avoid that. It's just a too much work. And as a kid growing up with braces, like I just stay away from candy <laughs> apples. Uh, and then the last two are the bagel twists at Maurice's Cart <gasps> at Disneyland. They're that? just, they're not good, right? We ate it. They're like hard, tough, stale. The 60th anniversary, they were awful. The other thing would be definitely pizza. Unfortunately, like anywhere in the parks, I would say is my least favorite. But there are some that I haven't tried yet, especially over in Orlando, like Pizza Rizzo in the Muppets area. I haven't tried that place yet. But otherwise, I would say pizza is my least favorite at Disney. I think they yes. could do better. Um, that's a whole other debate on its own is the pizza over at uh, 
pizza port, but. Right. But I think I told you, Jennifer, pizza port, I think as far as consistency goes and the quality of their salads has always been decent to me. And then, hey, do you guys want to touch on how I got mixed up in this whole thing? You want to wait for you to do your five least favorites. Jen? I'll do my five. I'll run through them real fast. So first off, like going from like the least is going to be the last one, I say. Um, I have Mickey pretzel, plain or with salt. I like the ones with the, the filling, but the other ones are just like super boring to me and just not what I want to carry around all day at the park. Um, and then I have two in Batu. One is Batu Bits um, from Ogos Cantina. Like, I totally get it. It looks, like, spacey and different and whatever, but, like, I just do not enjoy it. Um, and along with that comes green milk. Does anybody even actually like green milk? I'm curious. Um, where's green milk at, by the way? Where's what? Where's green milk at? So they have that milk stand right by the Millennium Falcon. Oh, I've only been or, in. Yeah. I've only been in the Star Wars Land once. So. Oh, okay. Mm. I can't remember if it's no, it's not. It's supposed Falcon, to be like straight the... from the Star Wars movies, the blue and green milk. But yeah, nobody. I mean, I don't like it, <laughs> yeah, Jen. You don't no, like it. I don't think anybody likes the green, and then people only kind of like the blue milk. Um, and then I have the last two are really, really bad, and one is turkey legs. It's any. Why Why do people like these? Just kidding. I know a lot of people love them, and they have a really big fan following. However, I think they're disgusting, and people look like <laughs> cavemen walking around with turkey legs. And last but certainly not least, my least favorite is the giant pickles, because I hate pickles. Ooh, no, I don't even want to I be around it. you when you're eating one of those. That smells like wafting over. I just can't. I can't. Yum. I love a big dill pickle. Sour. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um... So those are our five least favorites. And then before we get to you, Dave, we have one other question. Okay. And it came from Jessica on our um, Patreon as well. And she said, why do Disney burgers taste so bad? And I think you may have had a like an idea of why. Just because of your experience of being a chef versus us having no clue what's going on in the food industry. Got it. So I think... I gave that some thought after we discussed it before. So <laughs> being being a native Southern California, my first trip to Southern California, my first trip to Disneyland was probably in 1968 or 69. I was probably a little tiny kid. You know, I'm going to be 56 here pretty quick, and I feel super awesome for my age, but it's nice. still a number. Um, but um, so growing up in Southern California and going to Disneyland, like they were basically – maybe a half a step above like a elementary school cafeteria burger. Right. You know what I mean? So when I look at the burgers now compared to that growing up, they're obviously exemplary. You know what I mean? They're fantastic burgers. Um, but I think in this particular case, uh, people's expectations of burgers have gotten better. Again, you know, I'm a food writer and a bunch of other things. We'll talk about that hopefully. But, you know, I, I generate opinions on food. So when people's, I guess I would say, like, I remember when Carl's Jr. was a real burger in the 70s, right? Right. So, and Carl's Jr. isn't really a real burger anymore. So with Disneyland, like, yeah, their burgers are better, but they par cook them. They, they par cook the patties ahead and hold them and then make the, the burgers to order. If you're at Galactic Grill slash Tomorrowland Terrace, they just can't make burgers on the fly like that, like they do fresh for In-N-Out Burger. And then, you know, honestly, it just depends on the motivation of the people working in the place. Like if I was making burgers, me personally, Chef Dave, 
I would make all of my burgers, at least the best I could make them, you know, under any set of circumstances. And that doesn't always happen with, you know, park employees, depending on how motivated they are, how well they've been trained or a whole bunch of other stuff. So I would say that is probably your best answer it would be park cooked patties and, you know, maybe the, you know, the overall motivation level, the people work at some of the venues. And what does par cooked mean to the so par- general audience? <laughs> I'm sorry, par cooked. Uh, par cooked means you, you cook it about three quarters of the way and then you'll hold it someplace hot and then put it on a bun. You know what I mean? So you can par cook pasta. Pasta is a great example. When you par cook, cook pasta for a restaurant setting, you kind of boil it three quarters of the way, you put it in cold water and then you kind of bundle it up into little packages and you just flash boil it real quick to order. So yeah, same thing with the burger patties. They kind of semi cook them, you know, to a certain temperature, whatever their spec is, and then hold them until they're ready to go on a bun. That makes sense. Yeah. You really, when you take into consideration how many people they're feeding, like it's an insane amount, like they literally would have to have some crazy operation back there or prep ahead. Right. So, well, and I, I think also this, that idea of scalability with Disney because of the way the park was designed, you know, Tomorrowland Terrace was not designed to move the numbers that physically, you know what I mean? This the space inside there. And the same thing I, I've shot. Well, let's talk about how I ended up with this thing first. So people have a frame of reference. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. So I did the food photography at Disney for 10 years. I was on contract with them. I actually stumbled into the gig. Um, it was a little bit of a political decision with Disney. They were doing all the food photography in Florida, and then they decided the West Coast needed to stand on its own and, and do their own food photography. So I actually kind of randomly bumped into a friend of a friend who recommended me for the gig because even though I'm a chef, I went to film school and I minored in photography and I've done a lot of editorial and I was on the road with Rollins Band and Social Distortion and everybody back in the day shooting a lot of rock and roll too. So I literally got approached by a gentleman who's a mutual friend and he said, hey, can you do food photography? And I was like, well, not yet, but I'll figure it out. So that's how I started doing food photography for Disney. Uh, And actually my first shoot at Napa Rose was the one that made my food photography career because I nailed this one particular shot that nobody had been able to do. Anyways, so I became... I became uh, very familiar with the entire Disney culinary team. There's still some of my my good friends. I still stay in touch with them. Um, And I spent uh, 10 years working backstage, behind the scenes, shooting all the food. I think for me in particular, I was in a a good time. Disney had kind of rolled out a couple corporate initiatives, including changing the menus. Like I remember I shot the fried green tomato sandwich at Hungry Bear Cafe. That was when they launched that. That was the first sort of non- fair amusement park food that they had really executed out of the park that wasn't in one of the fine dining venues. So that's kind of how I started with Disney doing what I, what I was doing. And it was interesting for me and a whole up, but I mean, obviously a bunch of different ways, great learning experience, great culture experience. I'm a, I'm a pass holder you know, I go to the park all the time, but it was interesting being on set and we'd have Disney execs from Florida that would be on set. And the, the chefs, me and the chefs would be talking about some photographs and stuff. And the chefs would always address me as chef, even though I was a photographer. And these Disney guys would ask me, they're like, yeah, Dave, why are they calling you chef? You know, and I'm like, well, I'm also a chef. So we're contemporaries. We call each other chef. And they were like, well, you're a chef and a food photographer. I'm like, well, yeah, I can kind of do a little bit of both. But um, so my, my frame of reference uh, internally and culturally with Disney corporate and then historically with being part, you know, Disney being a part of my Southern California narrative is that's, you know, kind of how I landed in that and how I generated opinions about food. But I also write for a bunch of different magazines. I wrote for the OC Weekly, 
Um, some people call me the Anthony Bourdain of Orange County. I'm not saying I believe that, but it is said hey. of me. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I love talking about food and, and Disney has a very specific culture in and of its own that's super fascinating to kind of get your head around. Dave, where would people see these photos? Are these like the menus and the screens that show up and the app? So uh, I did the digital menu board rollout when they started that at Village House and Tomorrowland Terrace and oh, cool. um, some of the other ones. And then I shot everything from the really high-end digital menu board um, stuff down to point of sale, tabletop stuff, uh, tabletop, tabletop stuff. I, uh, I was on the launch team for Cars Land. I was in Cars Land before anyone had been in Cars Land when they were just doing the oh, test wow. rides and stuff. Fun. So, Ooh, the Cozy Cone food must have been fun to work with. Cozy Cone was a hard one to shoot, guys. That was a <laughs> very, very interesting. I don't know how you hold up one of those cones in something clear and plastic and then, you know, kind of make it look appetizing. But Cozy Cone was a, <laughs> that's a great point, Mike. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, when you said you had that shot you took at Napa Rose, what that nobody else could get, what was it? So it was a, um, I believe it was a beef shank that was braised in red wine, and the the what they plated it on was made it very difficult to shoot. Mm. And because I had mm. some pretty decent photography skills and could kind of think on my on my feet, I actually lit it in a particular way where this side of this normally kind of gross brown beef shank had some <laughs> texture and some some reflected light in it. Um, and that literally, I, I still have the, the, the photo, I still have the book, it was for a, one of those like food and wine festival Napa Rose things. Mm. And I still had, I was just looking at the photo the other night. I was like, oh, that's the, that's the photograph that made my food photography career because I could figure out that one thing that nobody else could shoot. So. Right, that's awesome. I love that because uh, all of us are now somewhat food photographers on Instagram, right? Everyone takes pictures of all their food. And I've had many of those moments where this dish just looks beautiful and delicious, but I cannot take a picture of it and have it look anything appetizing. Like it looks just terrible. So I bow down to food photographers. It's a skill of its own for sure. It's pretty trippy and it took me a while. I can't even look at some of my early work to be honest, guys. Um, <laughs> And um, I, I got to the point about two years in where I could almost get that perfect Carl's Jr. burger. Not quite, but I got pretty close. And, you know, speaking of how we're all content creators now, my chef buddies give me all kinds. Can I cuss on this, by the way? Or <laughs> yeah, that's Sure, fine. go okay. for it. Well, yeah, my, my chef buddies give me all kinds of shit about, oh, my God, your Instagram role looks awesome, you know. <laughs> and But most other chefs only know kitchen stuff. And I'm just like, listen, guys, I went to film school. I've shot, I've done photography and I can write. So that means I can generate all of my own content, which is a luxury that chefs just do not have. They have to pay someone to do that or, or maybe right. get some right. groovy free intern to do it. But like when I'm on the road, private chefing, I'm bringing my drone. I got my GoPro. I'm doing <laughs> slow-mo snap whips, backwards looped and like all kind. I have real audio gear that I record all my audio gear with. You know, it's an interesting process to do that on the move. But yeah, it's, it's, it's been an interesting journey, I guess is what I'm saying. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so I have a question for you with, um, like the food photography in general, like it doesn't even have to be just Disney, but how realistic are these shots compared to what, I mean, I know it's not always what it looks like when we get it, but I've heard that they will like do things to burgers, for instance, that are making them stand a certain way mm -hmm. and like fillers and all sorts of stuff. Do they do that at Disney as well? 
Well, I mean, you wouldn't want to eat a burger that you put on camera. Okay. It's got safety pins and oh cardboard gosh. and all kinds. Oh, yeah, wow. for sure. When you build a burger, and actually I'm a model builder. I like to make model trains, uh-huh. right? Which is a great tie into Disney because Disneyland, right? I will go to the mat on this one, was created around a train layout. That's like, right. It is what it is. Um, yeah, when you build a burger, since I'm a model builder, I'm actually a decent food stylist too, to be honest, because I take the same approach with model building that I do with, with building uh, food. Um, uh, on camera and it's like when you build a burger you have the bottom bun you kind of trim that up enough to look good you put a disc of cardboard inside the bun so the, <laughs> the patty doesn't sink right, right. But you, you can't be visible and then you put you know of course there's this big you know debate among chefs about exactly what the perfect layering is for a burger about remember that burger emoji debate did you guys ever hear about that no no oh my god the burger emoji because so the burger emoji is <laughs> is set up in a certain way right and some chef somewhere a couple, quite a few years ago paid attention to the build. It was like tomato, lettuce, cheese, pickle or whatever. And he was like, no, it needs to be this. And then we were all going back and forth about the burger <laughs> emoji was wrong. But anyways, but when you build a burger, you know, you, you do the patty. And then let's say you, you safety pin the tomato on so it doesn't slide around. And then you wow. frill the lettuce. And then you put safety pins in the lettuce so it doesn't really move. And then you might use like a, a thickened white glue for the mayonnaise. Um, all kinds of weird stuff. So yeah, you don't you don't want to eat a burger that's been put on camera by anyone. You don't want to eat a Carl's Jr. burger that's right. been put on camera because it's 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 not it's not edible. Oh my gosh, I love that. That's fascinating. That is so fascinating. It's almost like a mannequin. Yeah. <laughs> in which it, the clothes look better on the mannequin usually because they have those pins and everything and it's tailored. Um, you were talking earlier about you know some of the food evolving over time at Disney parks. What would you ideally want to see their food and beverage offerings evolve into? You know, at Disney parks, the tickets are more expensive. The food's more expensive. What would you love to see? That's a really tough question, actually, because I have an operational knowledge of what they're capable of. So for me, as if I was just a straight consumer, I'd be like, well, oh, my God, I want to have homemade chicharron on Main Street or whatever. You know what I mean? (laughs) But the chef and the Disney insider part of me tells me they can't execute that. You know, I mean, first off, I would say if there's one thing I want to see, I want to see some fucking root beer barrels back in the goddamn (laughs) candy stores because it really pisses me off that they're not there. Um, But aside from that, I would say I would also agree with some of your listeners that if they could bring the burger game up a little tiny bit, I think it would be pretty awesome. And I also think that in a general philosophical sense, Disney chefs, they aren't allowed to really think outside the box too much, although that has been changing over the past decade. You know what I mean? But I would say that their box needs to be a little bit bigger for them to think outside of. Like they function in a very small Mm -hmm. box and they deal with a lot of suppliers and internal politics about what they can serve and what they can't serve. Um, I I would say that ultimately the the, the Disney culinary team was given a little bit more leeway to do their stuff. I I think it could be a little bit better, but they're not trained to do that. What I can say about the Disney culinary team is they work really well together. I have a great time working with them. They're all super awesome. Um, I've met only a handful of jerks, you know, the entire time I was there. You know what I mean? Um, so they have a very good functionality as far as chefs go and culture. But um, it's just um, the, the box is pretty small. And maybe it should be. If I mean, how much are you really expecting from the park if you're not one of us Disney geeks? You know what I mean? So, right. Yeah. I know they've had some hits and misses back when uh, Galaxy's Edge opened. Some of the entrees were a little bit too adventurous and people were afraid, you know, general public didn't want to eat some of this and they had to like water it down a bit. So, yeah, that makes sense. I could see how they have this 
well, and, boundaries and they, to stay within. They had that Darth Vader eclair at Galactic Grill. Do you remember that? I remember a parfait. <laughs> I don't remember an eclair. I, sh- I remember shooting the parfait. I remember they came out with this eclair. This is an interesting, this is actually an interesting idea of how Disney functions. Um, you would think they, interesting holes in the Disney narrative. So they were making this Darth chocolate eclair, and it was both spicy and chocolatey, right? Oh, right. So they were testing it when I was on one of these photo shoots, and they were saying, yeah, they have a great main bakery at Disney, by the way. They have one main oh, bakery that's, okay. that's not in the park. It's right at Ball and whatever, and they, they built that quite a few years ago. It's an amazing facility. And Chef Jean-Marc, I think his name is, I'm not sure if he's still there, great French guy great baker too and he's got and i've never seen baking teams quite like that anyways they were messing around with this darth chocolate eclair and they were like yeah we're having a really hard time getting the spiciness component consistent and i was like well how are you making it spicy and they're like well we're taking basically they were taking pizza chilies the ground ones and steeping them like tea and then they were putting it in the in the the dough to make it a certain level of spiciness with the chocolate and um i was like well hey chef like those those on the Scoville scale, those chilies are all over the place, depending on how dry they are, how old they are, where they came from. It's not a constant number. And I was like, have you ever thought about just getting capsaicin extract, which they make and it's scalable, you know, it comes in a vial and it's, you know, like it's hot, you know, and you can yeah. quantify it. And and I remember one of the Disney chef that I was working at, he's like, oh, do they make that? And I was like, oh. well, I'm a, I'm like a freelance groovy chef that has just been an executive chef at some small restaurants, right? <laughs> like my food-based knowledge on the institutional level is literally zero. But I remember thinking like, dude, you're the institutional guy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> wouldn't you know that they make this spice extract that is completely scalable no matter what the skill level of a, of an employee is? You know what I mean? I was yeah. shocked by it. They're like, oh, they make that? I'm like, yeah, they do, dude. It's you order from cisco and it's a super common product but like i said disney culturally and professionally it's a, it's a great great experience um but it's fascinating to see some of the holes sometimes oh my gosh i love it i'm sorry if i'm getting all nerdy and chefy by the way no this is no, perfect we, okay. we love the nerdiness i was actually curious so the bakery off-site what type of goods come out of there and go to the parks they pretty much do everything out of there wow yeah. okay so yeah they pretty much they used to execute from a bakery in the park um, I don't know when that was, and I honestly don't know the details of it, but they built a, a large offsite bakery and they do everything there. And then, you know, kind of get into that realm of the bakery over at Bodine um, at California Adventures. That thing inside is amazing, by the way. That's a great, great, yes. great I, I'm always trying to get the Mickey sourdough when I go there because I can just eat the entire thing by oh, myself. So good. <laughs> yeah. I wish they would open that bakery up for a tour. You know how we did those tours in Disney World, Mike, where we got to go to the um, laundry facilities and whatnot. That's yeah. not, not normally something we would get to adventure into, but we did get to venture into it there. Uh, I would oh, love and I to love the smell of a bakery yes. here in New York City. I used to live across the street from Sullivan Street Bakery, and every morning I would be woken up happy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I'd have to have a chat with him about root beer barrels, and I'd also be like, where is my fudge and my s'mores? Because they just got rid of all the things we love, evidently, at the bakery. At bakery. Oh. But at least it's not doing what Walt Disney World is doing, because that's a whole other separate issue. <laughs> well, yeah, and I've never even been to Walt Disney World. I was supposed to go out there and shoot once or twice, and, and Disney never bit on me going out there because they had their own team. Um, mm. So I never really got a chance to go check it out. They just recently changed it. It is now um, sponsored by Mars, and so... 
they've just gotten rid of so many of the baked goods that we used to have and filled the shelves with like candy bars, like like yeah, whatever three musketeers or that you can Milky get Way. anywhere huh well and think, I, yeah. I i think you were looking at a general branding question and this is way beyond outside of my pay scale but like disney co-brands really well everybody does knott's berry farm co-brands magic mountain co-brands um and you know it just you know disney has they've got their priorities about revenue streams and all kinds of other stuff you yeah know, i kind of get it but i think it can take away from the experience of it yeah how you were i really like the the moment you were explaining about how you were there for the big shift when disney started trying to get away from theme park food to like a more culinary experience in comparison um what made you realize that was happening? Like, was there a certain dish that came out or was were they, like, having meetings about that to let you know that that was changing? There was definitely a directive that was, that oh, was going on where they wanted that to happen. So I was part of some of those discussions. I wasn't part of the concepting, but I was there for a lot of the rollout stuff. It was interesting, too. Like, I, I would say there was, there was some interesting moments in there, say, with the – and I was a bar manager at that time as well – I was a bar manager for 17 years at this legendary place called Memphis Cafe in Costa Mesa. I, I would call it a cultural icon, actually. And I'm not saying that because I worked there and hung out there. It was definitely a thing. But I was a bar manager there for 17 years. Even when I was opening restaurants, I'd be able to step away for a month or two and go fly somewhere and open a restaurant because it was an autopilot. Anyways, I had a really good beer and whiskey knowledge. I had quit drinking about five years ago. But um, at that time, I had a really, really solid palate. And I remember we were shooting a corporate event where they were showcasing some of the products they were going to be show launching at um, Cars Land. And I'll never forget, I saw a bottle of Racer 5 IPA on this little stand, you know, that had a little blurb about it. The corporate guys are going to walk by and, and get a look at Racer 5 IPA. And I knew the Racer 5 rep pretty well, actually, the, the, not the sales guy, but the rep rep. And I remember I texted him, like, dude, you guys got a Racer 5 placement in Cars Land? And he's like, yeah, man. And I'm like, dude, you guys must be freaking the fuck out right now because you're going to be moving a lot of product. He's like, yeah, we got to figure out how we're going to scale this one to brew all this Racer 5. And Racer 5 is a perfectly respectable IPA as far as I'm concerned. Super easy. Drinking. Wow. But there, there was a lot of interesting <laughs> moments in there, too, that we you got a chance to get a peek behind the curtain. I think the other thing that was fascinating for me working for Disney is I thought being behind the scenes was going to ru ruin the park for me. Um, and it was quite the opposite. Like, I think I actually enjoyed the park more, the more that I got to see behind the scenes and be backstage. Cause you can't really tell what's going on. That's park. a common, um, worry between like Disney holics like us is how much we want to see. And when we go on these tours and to your point, it ends up making it more, I appreciate it yeah. 10 times more. Yeah. I have yeah, yet to see something that I, that didn't make me appreciate it more. Yeah. And, and there's, there's backstage entrances everywhere. You know what I mean? Like you just, they're yeah. just well hidden. And if you really look at eyeline stuff, you know, all the Disney nerd stuff is all true. You know, they watch the eyeline from main street. So you can't see the launchers for the fireworks or whatever. You know what I mean? It's a, it's pretty well thought out. It's funny. Disney thinks about things so well in so many ways, like, and then there's just obvious glaring holes that you would not believe. And <laughs> I'm probably going to get myself into trouble telling the story. We're going to tell it anyways. <laughs> we were doing we were doing the rollout for Tangaroa Terrace slash Trader Sam's when they redid wow. that at, when they redid that at the at the Disneyland Hotel. And I came up with you know Orange County is very dynamic culturally. I came up with you know obviously a lot of bands, a lot of artists, a lot of action sports retail guys, and all that other stuff. 
Um, and I also came up with like Shag, the artist, you know, he's part wow. of my crew and I'm, my, my, my friends and my friends, my family of friends has been at Tiki stuff forever, way before it was cool. And, um, <laughs> it was funny. I was talking with the manager of, at the Disneyland hotel that was in charge of the rollout for Tangaroa Terrace and Trader Sam's. She was like the corporate point person. And I was chit chatting with her and she's like, yeah, I just got back from this uh, Tiki Expo in Palm Springs. And I, man, I, I didn't even really know that people were into this. And then I was like, I didn't even know there was a Tiki Expo. We need to go to that. No, it's, <laughs> yeah, no, it's awesome. But I literally thought like, you're the person that Disney corporate picked to launch this and you yeah, don't know anything wow. about Tiki culture. You know what I mean? I was like, wouldn't you get want to get like the person that you know on the West Coast that knows the most about tiki culture and, and logistics and management right. and have them do that. But yeah, again, Disney, super, super detail oriented in many, many ways. And then you'd bump into these weird situations where you're just like, wow, you guys have no idea what's going on to you. Huh, yeah. It's very true. I've noticed with, because they're so big in corporate, sometimes they make these org changes and they move people into these head positions and they have not had any experience or passion for the thing. I've seen that happen. I mean, at all companies, but yeah, it's noticeable at Disney. And Are you referring like to, to Bob Chapek, Mike? No, not Chapek. <laughs> just in general, I've seen it. Like people will go from like consumer products to Disneyland president. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. They'll, they'll go from they'll go from packaging to like operations lead, and you're like, dude, yeah. those are two totally different things, man. Like, yeah. Yeah. good luck, but yeah. <laughs> all right. So, Dave, do you have anything else that you would like to tell us about? Maybe something we don't know about food at Disney or what, like some story we may have missed that's really good for food photography. Could, we, we, we could we could talk for two hours about all this I stuff. Bet, I, I bet. And I love to talk. You can probably tell. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I you know, the, I, th I think overall the, the Disney experience for me uh, was certainly one of uh, the most uh, rewarding dynamic uh, phases of my career. And I've been very, very fortunate as a chef to cover a lot of different ground. You know, like I said, I've been in the movie industry. I write, um, you know, I've been a bail bondsman, whatever. I've done all kinds of things. I'm not like the guy that's just been stuck in the kitchen forever. You know, also chronologically, because I have more time in me in Southern California, I've been around more stuff. I kind of a little bit different uh, frame of reference and maybe, you know, like a chef in his thirties that happened to into a gig or whatever. But I, I would say that the, the Disney experience was extremely rewarding as a general rule of thumb. Um, the teams were all very cohesive and super awesome to work with. And, and I liked seeing, honestly, like, you know, this isn't self-serving or my ego talking, but I was just stoked when I was going to, I did the first shoot that I did at Napa Rose about a year after the shoot, they did it for a, um, for a book, like a food and wine festival book or something. And then about a year after that, they ended up using um, some of the photographs for, do you know when you walk into the grand californian and they have those uh windows that are displays and they have like the lighted um plexiglass that have imagery on them i you get you if you're walking into the grand california from downtown disney there's two spots oh like oh that. yes yeah, yeah. And there's like the qr code on it now and it tells you about the restaurant yeah, right? yeah. so i remember uh they use some of my photographs including a photograph of uh chef sutton uh for that and i was there with my with my wife laura at the time um and I remember like I burst into tears because, you know, A, the photos look good. That's not me tooting my own horn, but I got some lucky shots. I got a great portrait of Chef Sutton that they used. And I was like, I'm like, man, you know, wow. I think the other things that stand out too is like I got a chance to shoot 
um, inside the haunted, haunted mansion where they would close it down <gasps> for um, wow. for the Nightmare Before Christmas and when they were building the gingerbread house every year. Which, oh by the gosh. way, guys, that gingerbread house shit is fucking radical to watch them do. It is <laughs> wow, super, super bitching. It's really, really good. Um, oh, my it's like the crown jewel of that ride every year to see what they do with the oh my gosh. With the gingerbread house. It's yeah. amazing. And I, and I remember when I was a kid, probably in seven, 1974, I was probably about eight, and I remember being on the haunted house ride because I lived in in Pasadena, Arcadia area. We were being on the ride with my dad and him trying to explain the whirling dancers, ghost things, right? Uh, and Pepper's, remember, ghost. Pepper's ghost yeah. effect? Yeah, and I remember my dad saying, those are called holograms oh. in that 1970s way. You know what I mean? Like it was a big fucking deal. Like holograms were like, you know, the be all end all of everything. And, but, and I just remember being fascinated by just the thought of that, um, and if you would have told that little kid that, I don't know, 38 years later that I'd be in that room itself taking photos and, you know, getting my picture taken at the fucking organ, you know what I mean? And all that oh. other stuff. Like, cool. like I, you literally, that little kid Stop. would have been no way, you know. So <laughs> I, th- those are those cool highlight moments that made it a really, really rewarding experience. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Oh, I, I am that. very jealous. Honey Mansion is my... <laughs> Oh my God. Favorite thing in the entire world, I think. <laughs> all right, Dave. Well, thank you so much for joining us and teaching us Anytime, all about seriously. it. Yeah, I would love to talk with you guys. There, are, there are so many uh, threads that I want to keep pulling at. Like I could talk about the railroad or listen to you talk about railroads. It's so fascinating. Well, and I, so yeah, hopefully we can have you back. Sometime. I'm serious, guys. I'm super cool talking about this stuff like as a Disney nerd. So anytime you want me back, you let me know. I love it. Well, if listeners wanted to know a little bit more about you and your chef life because i know you aren't necessarily doing the photography side anymore for disney especially but what's your chef life tell us all about it so about two years ago um two years ago i made a pretty big decision in my life and it's it's a much more it's a much longer story than needs to be spoken of here i basically decided that the clock's ticking and it's time to be extra super side order of wrath so um, <laughs> I, uh, I made a decision to kind of hack my life where I could live on nothing. I don't have kids and I'm not married anymore. Um, I launched myself uh, full bore into uh, being a private chef, an agency private chef, which has treated me really well. I got really good at it. Uh, so I, I have multiple contracts with multiple agencies. And, and honestly, I just jam around the whole state of California and cook food and meet groovy people. And uh, again, for a guy my age, like, and the way I do it, you know, I, so another part of my narrative is I've been working off the John Muir Trail uh, in the High Sierra for 25 years up by Yosemite. So it's been a really, really big part of my life, and I'm really familiar with outdoor culture. So I kind of married that into being a private chef where I'll just jam. I'll do Northern California, Southern California, and then I'll just plan to have some time in between, and I'll go be groovy in Yosemite or go jam out to Big Sur and hippie camp in Big Sur or whatever. So I've, I kind of created this this realm around my private chefing that's really cool. And also my family settled Sonoma in 1849, and that's going to be my primary territory moving forward for 2023. I'm very, very honored to be up there. Oh. Uh, my family was a very, they married into the Vallejos, of very, very deep roots that I'd only heard about when I was a kid. So it's a dream as a chef to get an opportunity to work there. And whether we like to admit it or not, um, you know, at this phase in my life, I certainly hope I have a lot of productive years left. But if I get a chance to write my final chapter somewhere, you know, it's I want to I want it to be in Sonoma where my family's from and where they settled. That's really you know cool. I mean? 
And then mm-hmm. I'm also working on my first book and, and I'm kind of getting this phase in my career where I'm getting more opportunities with television, which is interesting to hit at this point in my life as well. Uh, but I feel great physically. My headspace is super tight. My knife hand is good. Um, you know, I, I feel very, very confident about what I'm doing. And, and most importantly, most importantly, I'm very confident about why I'm doing it because I, mm. at, I'm good. I'm going to be 56 on November 22nd. The only thing I have time for is awesome. Right? The <laughs> yeah. clock's fucking ticking. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not making myself miserable over a bunch of shit I can't control. Right. Like I just want to be a go. I want to be out there crushing it. I, the clock is ticking. I literally have no time for it. So, um, so that's that's my mission right now. Seriously, just be extra groovy. I'm being so groovy, I can hardly even stand it. But so far, it's working awesome, and <laughs> and and I love it. Um, and, and that's um, how yeah, we met know. too. I don't. I didn't even say that on the show. I actually met Chef Dave, a P- Disney employee from the past, because of a private dining experience. I just thought that was a cool connection because I didn't even meet you because of Disney, and that was just like a yeah, bonus. And I, <laughs> and I remember we were kind of bullshitting. We were messaging back and forth on the platform. You didn't even bring up any Disney stuff, but I think I messaged you something like, "Oh, because it was a corporate thing you booked." And I, I, I messaged something like. Oh yeah, I'll get all these corporate stiffs all taken care of. You know, we're groovy with that. Don't worry about it. You're like, you, did you just say groovy? I'm like, yeah, I just said groovy. And I'm gonna make the, I'm gonna make the corporate guys groovy too. Don't worry about it. We'll be, extra, yeah. we'll be super groovy together. Yeah, that was a great conversation. I was really really stoked when I met you. Even via messaging, I'm like, ah, oh, Jennifer's rad. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So, if someone was interested in hiring you as a private chef, where would they find you? Well, I, you know, my Instagram presence is pretty strong, and like I said, my production and writing. Uh, skills kind of play into that narrative as well. Um, you can find me on Instagram at, at David X Mao, M A U. Uh, and then I have a separate one that I use for some of my NorCal stuff, and it's uh, at NorCal underscore chef um, is sort of uh, how you would find me. That's the best way for people to get a hold of me. And I love making friends and seeing what everyone's up to. I don't do social media for a lot of self promotion. My, my social media uh, narrative is very genuine and very nerdy and very food oriented. <laughs> I, I do a lot of social media management consulting as well. And the first, the first thing I tell people, I'm like, listen, dude, if you're out there being something that you're not, a people are going to see right through it, and B, it's not right. going to last. So just be serious. You got to have fun doing it. Be authentic. Yeah, yes. for sure. Being authentic and being authentic, understanding the authenticity of being authentic is very difficult for people to understand because they think authenticity is some sort of this branding tool that they use. And I'm like, it's nothing but you, dude. Like, just be rad. (laughs) Just be you. Just do you. And if you're interesting, people will follow. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. I think think energy begets energy. And that sounds far more holistic than I normally am coming up as a punk rock kid in Orange County. But uh, (laughs) I've I've shown that to be true in one one way or another over the course of the years. So I'm glad you guys are rocking it too because you seem like you have a very authentic little jam going. Oh, yeah. This is the best. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love it. Yeah. Okay, Dave, thank you once again for joining us, and we will have you back on soon, hopefully. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Bye. Let's do it. Bye. Man, that conversation just made me hungry. I don't know about you. (laughs) I'm glad we have plenty of time to talk about food on this episode. I know. I want... Well, you're going to talk about Plaza Inn later, which I'm very excited, but I, I could have some of their fried chicken right now. But the sides, too, the mashed potatoes... Thanksgiving's coming. Ooh. Oh my gosh. I know it's that foodie time anyways, right? It Get is ramped a up. Time. Yeah, so we got plenty of foodie talk going on for you, but I think is there a game we're going to play? I do. I always have a game ready. 
And some of these, uh, some of the questions I'm going to ask you in this fun Disneyland Ultimate Foodie Game Challenge extravaganza is some of them were already answered when we talked to Chef Dave. So these might be easier for you because I should have known having a foodie on today's episode. Uh, All right. All right. Are you ready for the first trivia question? Bring it on. In the early days of Disneyland, a restaurant named Casa de Fritos invented what would become a well-known snack that is now available worldwide. What did they invent? This is my favorite little-known fact about Disneyland, and no one ever believes me. They think I'm bananas. The answer is Doritos. Doritos, nacho cheese, the original flavor. And the story goes that they repurposed stale tortillas that they bought from a local vendor. (laughs) And then they used it for that. And the chips proved to be so popular, they eventually rolled out nationally by Frito-Lay back in 1966. So there you go. Innovation at its finest. All right. You're craving a funnel cake. You're in Disneyland. Where can you find funnel cakes at Disneyland Park? There's two places. Oh, man. You're calling me out here. I think I know exactly <laughs> where it is. Did you say there's two? There's two. Oh, then I definitely know. Hungry Bear and um, the... I'm going to get it mixed up with Disney World. Silver Spur. Oops. Is that what it's called? Nope. But I think you're on the right track. It's the Golden Horseshoe side thing. It's on the side of the Golden Horseshoe. Think of it as an entrance for the theatrical performers that come onto the Golden Horseshoe. In story. Like within the story. This is where they enter. Backstage. Stage, stage. door cafe. St- there it is. Very close. <laughs> I was like, very wait, close. stage something. I didn't even know it was called that until I was making this game. <laughs> That's right. Silver Spur is Disney World's version of Golden Horseshoe. That's right. Wait, so is it the same food that's in Golden Horseshoe? There's some of the same, oh, and then okay. they have some different stuff. Like, I don't think they have a funnel cakes inside. Interesting. And they're they both have, quick service, so yeah. they're just like, it must be the same kitchen. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Okay. All right, so we're going to hop over for a minute to Disney California Adventure. What attraction features a smell on the ride with an opportunity to purchase and eat that smell after riding? (laughs) That's great. Ooh. Oh, okay. This is a newer edition. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's the Incredicoaster, and it's... Jack Jack's Num Nums. Yes. And you could buy your own giant, warm, freshly baked, enormous, amazing chocolate chip cookie on the way out. There it is. Now, do you smell it on the ride? I think I can imagine it, but I can't remember. It's in one of the tunnels. They like shoot the chocolate chip smell and then like maybe 20% of the time you can smell it. Okay. That's what I'm wondering. It's one of those. Okay. Like Sometimes it's like super strong, especially when they first opened it. You could like... Like, I wanted it after I got off the ride, and they didn't have the booth there yet when it first opened. Oh, how interesting. I don't know if I've yeah. eaten it. I've seen it, but maybe I should. They're good, and the, there's a hack. You get one, and then you go over to Ghirardelli Square, and you buy a single scoop of vanilla ice cream <gasps> and put it on and share it with your friends because it's a lot. I was about to say, I think I would want so a la mode. Okay, there, yep. that's how you do it. Food hack. <laughs> All right, so what food item is available over at Avengers Campus? That originated from an inside joke from an MCU Marvel film. Oh, I think it's that soda. It is a food item. Eat. Like a food. Eat. Eat. Mm -hmm. 
inside joke from one of the bigger Marvel films. I'll say it's from an Avengers Oh, the film. shawarma. The shawarma. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that is really I was like cool. going down Pim's Test Kitchen like <laughs> list. I'm like, mm. When you think about, about it, like that is really cool. It's so right? cool. Imagineering fan service because that, was, that, that wasn't even in the movie. It was like in the mid credit scene. They just like talked about it, right? Yeah, they didn't even yeah. have a real one. They just like they were eating it around the table, and they're like they have yeah, food coming out. They already of had it. Oh my gosh, very. Um, and it was like New York City, I kept right? waiting for them to come up with one of those pizza balls stands like they oh. had in Doctor Strange: Multiverse Madness. I'm surprised they didn't. And that's dude from <laughs> Evil Dead that played right, it. right. Um, all right, so let's hop on back over to Disneyland proper. What was the name? Of McDonald's French fry cart that used to be in oh Disneyland's God. Frontierland, and we just talk about talked about Should this. Should I with be Jay. embarrassed? I know all of these. <laughs> like, I'm finally acing a quiz. Great, um, it's the Westward Ho, baby. Boom. That's it. French fries, nice salty and that's French fries. All they sold there. If you guys don't remember this thing, it's. I think they took it out in like the mid 2000s or something. Um, and yeah, all they sold was French fries, McDonald's French fries specifically. Isn't that and crazy? And they were good and warm. I'm wondering, you know, we always want to know about backstage operations. I, I doubt they had a deep fryer there in that spot because it's like not connected to any kitchen. or So did they have to make them somewhere and like move them, transfer them? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> questions. We I always imagine it was just in there, but you're right. It was pretty small. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very interesting. <laughs> Westward Ho. Um, all right, so... What was the name of the pizza joint in Tomorrowland before it was renamed to Alien Pizza Planet? It was Red Rockets Pizza, which is so weird. Yeah, Red Rockets Pizza Port. Uh, which pizza I think, Port. I think Dave still called it that earlier when we were talking to him. Like, <laughs> um, okay, here's a fun one. Also very easy, but play along. Where can you find the following menu items? A Hawaiian cheeseburger ramen a poke bowl and pork gyoza what was the first thing a hawaiian cheeseburger i actually don't think i know this so let me think for a second a hawaii oh wait oh i do know i do know it's so good um if you were to go over to the disneyland hotel right mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. have a seat at the tangaro terrace you may just be able to find all of these snacks listed. Yum. And you can hop over right next door for a full-on tiki bar experience oh, in Trader, Trader Sam's. Sam's. Love it. I haven't gone on my last two trips. I did not go to Trader Sam's. It's about time. Oh. But it's okay. I have a week-long solo trip coming up in a few weeks. So, you know, I'm going to be there. <laughs> Any new mugs coming out? <laughs> oh, they just had the brand new Haunted Mansion Gargoyle one come out. It's beautiful. It's oh, green. Spooky. Nice. Yeah, that'll be gone by the time I get there. But, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, all right. So we, uh, yeah, we did talk about the Golden Horseshoe, but I ha actually have another question about it specifically. So the Golden Horseshoe Saloon Restaurant went by a similar but longer name, different name, during its construction before it actually opened in 1955. What was its name before Golden Horseshoe? Ooh. The Golden Horseshoe Saloon and Dance Hall. No, but I'm as I'm looking at this, I think there's an interesting Disney World connection. Maybe 
that Disney World did after. So I'll give you a clue. It's the old name was like somebody's Golden Horseshoe Saloon. It's like oh, a name. Wally Bogues. <laughs> Pecos um, Bills. Gordon. Pecos Bills. Oh, yeah. Isn't there a Pecos Bills in Disney yeah. World? Yeah, I thought so. Yep. Funny. Uh, okay, yeah. So it was going to be called that and they just dropped it. The Golden Horseshoe Saloon. So it was just Pecos Bills Golden Horseshoe Saloon. Yep. Long. But now they love the long, <laughs> long. name. So maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it would they have a, a colon and then like a subtitle. <laughs> Right. Disneyland's uh, Fantasyland, Storybook Land, Canal Boats. Oh my goodness. All right. What Disneyland restaurant was originally planned to have live entertainment? And the name of the restaurant was inspired by a 1963 song. A 1963 song? Wait, what? Where is this at? Disneyland, Disneyland restaurant originally planned to have live entertainment. And the name of the restaurant is inspired by a 1963 song. Huh. Is it still there? Uh, the name of the restaurant is still the same, and the restaurant is still there. There is, oh. They're never, live entertainment, live entertainment never made it. What the heck? I feel like I should know. Oh, wait, no, they did have it. Um... Shoot, I have no idea. What were you gonna guess? Because maybe I got some of the facts wrong. I was gonna say Plaza Inn, but they had. Oh, okay. No. So in this case, it was the Blue Bayou. Uh, why don't they have yes. entertainment now Imagine, that I'm thinking about it? That would be so cool. Even if you're on the pirate boats going by and it was like jazz musicians. Yeah, like a little roaming, like even a singular solo jazz musician roaming, playing yeah. like his banjo or guitar. Come on. Oh, the it's banjo, like, like the sound that's in the ca- the little yeah, thing. That would be so cute. Get like a real good banjoist. Is that a thing? Banjoist? Banjoist? Sure. <laughs> sure. So yeah, they, they had today. planned on it, but it didn't happen. Um, and Blue Bayou was a song. Many people did covers of it, but 1963 was when it first came out. I and did not know that was a song. By the way, there is a Blue Bayou in two more places. Bonus points. Do you know where? Which Disneyland parks? Ooh. International. I feel like there is one, I'm just guessing, because I really don't know. But I feel like there's one in Paris and in Tokyo. Oh, you got them. That's both. That's yeah, correct. Yeah. Right? Like, Tokyo Actually, has as soon as I said I'm cool. guessing, I remembered that there is one in Paris. <laughs> Do you? Did you go to it when you were there? I don't think so, no. And I'm assuming it's probably inside the ride, too, right? Like Pirates. Like ours. Um, and then I have one last question for you for this Disneyland Ultimate Foodie Game tra- Travel. It's not a travel. Challenge extravaganza <laughs> is what snack is likely the healthiest treat that you will find at Disneyland at only about 21 calories. Dang, 21? <sighs> I'll give you a hint. We did talk about this earlier with Chef Dave. So it's on one of our least favorite lists. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That is hilarious. Um, can't be the popcorn because they put a bunch of butter on it. Um, That's a good guess, though, because usually popcorn is not too bad of a snack. I always forget about that. Yeah, it's a light snack. I was going to say the hummus trio, but not 21 calories. That's very low. Very low. But we didn't talk about that either. 
Shoot. I can't think of anything that would be 21 calories. It's something that I would eat. I forgot to include it on my favorites, I think, last week. But I would definitely eat it. A dill pickle. Oh, God. <laughs> Your favorite. Bye. Bye. No wonder I, I don't like it. I can smell it. It doesn't calories in it. <laughs> 21 it calories. I can't even get that right. <laughs> It's like a giant, well, basically it's just a giant cucumber soaked in like vinegar, right? And mustard seeds. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I, I basically don't like anything soaked in vinegar. So 21 but calories. Dill, dill's really. Well. Hard to pass. You did very well in that booty Thank challenge. you. Great job. I feel glad, like, very happy that I'm able to do an okay job on a single quiz ever. <laughs> <laughs> well. I think that we should continue satisfying our cravings specifically going back to plaza inn and i know you have a deep dive on this entire restaurant and maybe it's history over at disneyland yeah so one thing i love about deep dives and rabbit holes are that you can find out that like basically literally everything in disneyland has some story behind it or just like it it's more interesting than you might assume it to be and I don't think I've ever had anything fail me. Like I look into something and it's there's something that I learn about it that's like fascinating. I there's really don't think there's a single there thing that wasn't there before. Exactly, right? <laughs> so now I'm about to tell you all about the history of Plaza Inn. So one of the first times that we saw Plaza Inn and like what, what Plaza Inn was going to look like what it was going to feel like, sound like, all that fun stuff, was in one of those videos with Walt Disney and Julie Ream, the first ambassador. Oh, those Disneyland you know those? TV series, like promoting yeah. the park? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yep, and they get to, they walk through one of those little, um, or not walk through it, they show one of the little maquettes that they built of what the plaza is going to look like. Um, and I thought it would be fun to just have Walt tell us about the plaza. Ooh. Now here's a, another way of going about a project. This is a one-eighth inch to a foot scale model of the new restaurant that we're putting in. We call it the Plaza Inn. It's right off the plaza. And it's going to be a, a period restaurant, a period about 1880, 90, with uh, beautiful interiors and the solarium and all of that. And the people can come in here, get their food, they can eat inside, or they can go out and sit in the garden. They can sit there and watch people and enjoy themselves, and, and the food's going to be very good, too. So that was the exterior of the Plaza Inn, but we also got to hear about the interior from an Imagineer named John Hench, a very popular Imagineer. May, some of you may have heard of him before. Um, but I'm going to play this for you also, and you have to listen closely for the comment that Walt makes about John Hench. It's... Hilarious. Over here, we get another view of it. This is Johnny Hinch, who's in charge of this particular project. Hi, Hi Julie. Uh, oh, you've met before. Well, wonderful. He gets around, you know. He knows all the pretty girls. Johnny, will you explain to uh, Juliet how, uh, what we're doing here, what this is all about? Yes, Julie. This is a more detailed model of the Plaza Inn. Now, over here is the serving area. And as you select your food, you can see through the dining room to a large solarium at the end. Then here's the beautiful solarium. Tell them about that. Get well, down and take a peek this in This is there. another view of the dining area. I can see it's going to be very lovely. And through the arches, to your left, you can see this large, beautiful aviary. 
with birds, birds, singing birds, canary birds, finches in that beautiful cage, and live plants and things. It's going to be very beautiful. Seems I hope like it, a wonderful place to eat. It is. You know, you have breakfast, lunch, dinner, and uh, Johnny, just be sure it looks as good as the model, mm. huh? <laughs> Thanks. Bye-bye, Joy. Right, right. Anyways, so Walt needs to chill out a little bit on that. <laughs> but um, first off, I want to say we can't talk about the Plaza Inn without talking about its predecessor. So the Plaza Inn wasn't always there before the Plaza Inn. It was the Red Wagon Inn. Does it sound familiar to you at wow. all? Wow. No, I'm already learning stuff from your deep dive here. I, in my <laughs> mind, I just assumed it was always and forever Plaza Inn. Nope. Um, but does the Red Wagon Inn sound like anything that you might think of? The Red Wagon Inn reminds me of two things. It reminds me of okay. one of uh, Citizen Kane, that movie where they talk. Oh, my gosh. Right? Okay. What is the name of that ra the wagon? I have no idea. A rosebud. Rosebud. People are probably oh, screaming. Oh, rosebud. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then it also reminds me of, yeah, just the Red Wagon you pull as a kid. Uh, nope. nope. <laughs> it reminds people of the corn dog cart oh. called the Little Red Wagon. Oh, okay. And it's With right out next to Plaza it, right? Inn, so it's oh. obviously a tribute. I didn't even realize that, that until doing this cool. deep dive. So cool. Um, but your guesses were great, <laughs> and <laughs> they can remind you of whatever. <laughs> so as Walt mentioned, the Plaza Inn was a period restaurant from the 1890s, and this also holds true for the Red Wagon Inn. Um, in an advertisement, the Red Wagon Inn, it said this in quotes, an authentic gay 90s restaurant, gay memories becoming glamorous realities at the air-conditioned Red Wagon Inn and mm, 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 those menus featuring sizzling steaks and juicy chops. Complete dinners from $1.65, luncheon from $1.50, and special children's menu starting at $1. Tempting thought, Swift's fine foods are served exclusively in Disneyland, end quote. Wow, there's a, there's a lot to unpack in that advertisement yeah. there. <laughs> um, wow, okay, first of all, they called the 90s. I mean, 1890s were what they called the 90s because they didn't have another 90s. That's so strange. Yeah. So, so many things about this blew my mind. I've heard the term gay 90s, and I never knew what that meant. I just assumed it was our 90s. I don't know. Like, I guess I just glazed right over it. I didn't realize, like, what was going on with that. And then I read this. I'm like, oh, it's the 1890s when people use that terminology in regular life. Like, That's so strange. So it was like a happy decade? Yeah. <laughs> It's a happy decade. I mean, Wait, I, that's if that's so the truth, weird. I would love to see it. It's so, so weird that in, in 1950, if you referred to the 90s, nobody thought twice. They knew you were talking about 1890s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're eventually going to get to that point where we have to be more clear. I don't know. Only 30 years ago, it'll be the same vibe as that conversation. Weird. Whoops. That's that is creepy. very weird. And then also, like, one of the best things ever is to see menu pricing from back in the day. Like a dollar sixty-five yeah. starting for dinner. Like what for that steaks? That is so cool. Christ. For yeah, for sizzling steaks. Mm -mm -mm. Sizzling steaks. And then of course they also had a classic sponsor in there, Swift's Fine Foods. You yep. Said? <laughs> so Swift's Fine Foods. Supposedly they were served exclusively in Disneyland. So that's interesting too. Like, did they 
Does that mean it's like a Disneyland built company? I couldn't figure that out. Or is it like they have a few items that they serve exclusively in Disneyland? You know what I mean? I was thinking probably the latter. Like maybe the only place you could get it outside of Swift's is Disneyland. In my mind, I this whole time I was thinking Schwann's, not Swift. That's I why. was too. I was too. I'm like, oh, they're totally established. I've heard of them before. And then I realized, I'm like, wait, no, Swift's. I haven't heard of that. I don't know what that you is. You know, so. the truck would come by and it'd be, it, it was yes. like out of our like price range. Like I didn't know what it was. It was like this fancy ice cream food truck thing that would drive Guess through. when I saw those Where? in our 90s. Yep. There we go. <laughs> The also gay 90s. Yeah, right. <laughs> <was> pretty gay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So since the Red Wagon Inn was a counter service restaurant, um, they were set up to serve 15,000 people daily, hitting a peak of 60,000 on holidays and weekends. Wow. Does that blow your mind? I always get, like, totally mind blown when I see populations that are in the park or in certain cities even i'm like there's that many people that i could meet <laughs> in here i could just sit in front of plaza Inn and meet sixty thousand people like that's insane that tens of thousands and it also goes back to what we were just talking about earlier with dave chef i mean Def, dave chef dave wow and how <laughs> there are you know dreams we have of what we'd like the food to be like at disneyland but they're limited by these like operations that need to be scalable. right That's crazy. like how are they supposed to serve sixty thousand people by the cooking plaza and chicken right like off the cuff <laughs> That's right That's so crazy um all right, so the Red Wagon Inn was our first what's different right That's kind of a good thing to look at um really a lot of it has some like like design flair that's changed. Um, But the biggest thing that made an impact is that they didn't have any outdoor seating. So they just had, you know, Plaza Inn, you walk out and there's a few tables on the porch. Oh, that was it. And then it was grass in front of that. So it was like the hub continued on into that space that we now have full of tables and there's like a gate around it. So that area wasn't used at all. That was just like open walkway at the time. So Plaza Inn was all indoor seating and the porch seating only. Or I'm sorry, Red Wagon Inn. So it was a little bit smaller in that way, like square yes, footage. Yeah. Interesting. So we're looking at those numbers that they were hitting daily. And now, you know, like you're going to think of that whole outside area, what Plaza Inn could do on <laughs> yeah. top of that, you know? So pretty nuts. And there's two um, sides. So I wonder if there were two sides before. There were. There oh, were. Yeah. So they had three rooms. Um, one was called the Gold Room. One was called the Green Room, and then they had a Disney Room, um, otherwise known as the Palm Room. Now, the two rooms you're thinking of were the Gold and Green Room. So there was like one side that was Gold Room, one's Green. And then the Disney Room, a.k.a. Palm Room, room, which reminds me so much of the Pineapple Pineapple. Room on What Lotus. (laughs) I was thinking the same exact thing when you said it. (laughs) In sync, in sync. I love it. Um, This was actually Walt's private dining room space. And he often reserved it for private parties. And then they would have other private parties used in that space in the meantime as well for like corporations or someone who wanted a little private space for their group. Um, There was also a cast member cafeteria in the back of the restaurant. And uh, that way, wait, hold on, what does it say? (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's right. They called it the in-between cafe. That's very cute. Like the pun. So cute. I am in. Oh, I like it. it, Yeah, and it's because it's like in between the inns. So very cute. Um, Oh, so they had access to some of that good food. Yes. Yep. Yep. 
And I believe it might still be there. I can't remember if it's still there today. It was definitely there during Plaza Inn at some point, but I'm not sure if it like lasted until even now. Do we know what happened to the Palm Room? Disney's private? It's still there. Oh. So they still have that for uh, private parties as oh. well. Can we request yep. it? And I don't even know where <laughs> it's at. Time? So like next time I go, I want to like, actually I think I talk about later, but there's a door on the side of the the porch that you can't get to and that's the private room and i'm like oh, i've never noticed well, and that you before. know what you do event planning as part of your job so you should just you know be like can we check it out i'm thinking of doing a corporate event back here stop it <laughs> stop i so will i want to know what it looks like <laughs> oh if i could only get them to just let me take everyone to disneyland i could be the tour guide it'd be great <laughs> um so what did the average guest eat at the red wagon inn so here they had things like savory meals, like prime rib, roast, corned beef, hash, Ooh, veal cutlets, um, all like super savory, heavy like meals that I think most people would eat like in, when it's cold outside. It sounds like very um, holidays. What is the uh, prime time diner? Prime time cafe. Yeah, mm-hmm. like that. Like what they ate. But back this was in the like day, right? live prime time cafe, right? Yeah, that's how it actually was. <laughs> but then. that's what they ate. Yeah. <laughs> a great point um and then of course you'd have all the sides like veggies potato rolls etc um okay so for here wait are you uh, telling me the there coin. was no fried chicken yet during the red wagon days it, they did not have fried chicken wow during the red wagon days would we still like it i mean i love corned beef hash but for breakfast oh, i can't even Imagine that. And breakfast? That's a heavy meal, isn't it? Corned beef hash. It's like, I usually eat it with, um, I don't know if it's like a Filipino thing or not, but we eat it like we fry the corned beef hash. It's best out of the can. Like, I don't like the fancy one where it's like uh, the kosher meat and everything. And it's just potatoes and onions. And then we put some fried egg on top and garlic rice. Oh my God. It's so good. Wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to throw a game at you now since Ooh. you threw one at me earlier. Um, I'm going to have you guess what you think these prices would be in 1955 at the Red Wagon Inn. So what do you think the cost was for a shrimp Louie? Um, excuse me, ma'am. Can you tell me what a shrimp Louie is before I order? <laughs> that is a great question. I'm going to quickly look it up as I'm talking over the sound of my keyboard. It is a traditional salad from California made with shrimp, lettuce, egg, and tomato. The dressing is similar to Thousand Island and is, you know, it says what it's made of. Oh, it doesn't sound bad. Okay. Shrimp Louie, that is going to cost, I'm going to start my dinner with that. It's going to be 75 cents, Bob. Okay. You know what? I really wish I could have told you what the menu year was for this because it was a dollar eighty-five. Oh wow! And now I'm remembering back at the top it said dinner starting at a certain price. I said no, you're right. No, you're still expensive. right. It said complete dinners. This is just my salad order. Yeah. So it yeah it still can go above a whopping dollar sixty-five. Okay. Dollar <laughs> eighty-five for a shrimp Louis. Okay. Um. Now this one's a little different. What do you think the price is for a French onion bowl of soup? Okay, so I'd like to add a French onion bowl of soup to my 1955 dinner at the Red Wagon Inn. And I think I'm going to budget. Oh, okay, the, the fancy salad was, what do you say? It was $1.65? Yeah, 
$1.85 for that fancy salad. That's a lot. Okay, so um, I'm going to pay for the French onion bowl. $1.25, You know what? I think please. that salad was probably a meal, though. Oh, you know, like, like a those dinner big salad. salads. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. That all makes sense. A dollar twenty-five. A dollar twenty-five for the soup, Bob. Way over prices, right? Rules. You're out on that one. It's forty cents. What? Okay, that that makes sense. And the salad is definitely a dinner salad, huh? Yeah, um, I just realized that. I was like, oh, French wait. French onion soup. That sounds good right now. <laughs> and now remember the prices on this menu starting at a dollar something. So. You know, when you get up to the fancier things, they could be a little more expensive. Now, the next one and the last one is the most expensive item on the menu. It's Swift's Premium New York Cut Steak. Okay, steak. With sides. Oh, steak with sides. Uh, Steak is always a premium item, no matter what year we live in. And so I'm going to guess for that steak, people probably paid $2.65, Bob. Woof. Try doubling that almost four dollars and twenty five cents. Really? What a rip off. Okay. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so it's if you're Dang. on a hot date, date line at date night at Disneyland, nineteen fifty five, and you're you're the person you're going steady with is paying for dinner, order the steak, not the shrimp Louie. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's only four twenty five. It's a steal. There you go. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, date night at Disneyland is so wish I could go. Ugh. So cute. All right. So the Red Wagon Inn opened up on opening day of Disneyland, July 17th of 1955. And then they closed on October 11th of 1964. Guess why? Uh, It's because of the cow, um, (laughs) mad cow disease outbreak of 1964. Oh, my gosh. So they couldn't serve any more corned beef hash. Veal prime river roast. <laughs> it's a much more boring answer, and it's because of sponsorships. Oh, just like everything else Swift. that we see change or get removed in Disneyland. <laughs> Almost everything. Um, so some fun facts. Some of the pieces in the Red Wagon Inn were contributed from the St. James Park Mansion in Los Angeles, which I guess was some famous mansion. Oh. Um it was from this. Blah, 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 blah. This is coming from a press document called News from Disneyland, and it said an old mansion in Los Angeles supplied part of the interior for the Del Delmonico style restaurant at the Disneyland Plaza Inn. The house was purchased. Oh no, sorry, at the Disneyland Plaza because this is still a Red Wagon Inn. I'm getting myself confused. Sorry. The house was purchased and dismantled with interior wood paneling and stained glass windows, crystal chandeliers, and staircases receiving the utmost care for the most of the mansion's features were incorporated into Disneyland's main street. So they took it and used a lot of it not only to decorate Red Wagon Inn, but they also used some attributes on Main Street of Disneyland. I've never heard of that. That's like going to that Fremont Hub house that we just talked about earlier in the episode. <laughs> and then just taking it apart and putting those pieces like in a ride somewhere. Yeah, buying it, taking <laughs> yeah. it, and moving it into Disneyland. Yep. Weird. <laughs> it must huh. have been beautiful, but it was really kind of cool how they used this historic um, house in a, a new way, which I thought was kind of cool. It kind of gave it a new life, maybe. Some people will say that. Some people say they, you know disgraced it who knows (laughs) but um another fun fact on opening day 
Uh, it was a press day on July 17th of 1955, and attendees were awarded a complimentary meal voucher to the Red Wagon Inn. So oh, it gained nice. a lot of popularity off the bat because everyone got to eat there for free. So everybody visited it, right? <laughs> That's a good premium complimentary meal, Disney. Yeah, yeah. Nice little sit-down meal. It's really good. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, that little red wagon out in the front the where we see the corn dogs now. And some people will fight like Chef Dave and say that the ones in D.C. are better. But I say the little red wagon ones are better. I was shocked and when you said that earlier. I was shocked. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and it's a tribute to the original restaurant, which is just so cute. Gives me like a whole new thing to love about those corn dogs. Yum, yum, yum. All right. So now we are getting to the Plaza Inn that we all know and love. Plaza Inn opened on the July 18th of 1965, and they had a cake cutting and toast by Walt himself. Wow. So Walt was around long enough to see one of these things change. I always yeah. assumed they yep. all happened after Walt passed. That's so funny. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he had 11 years in the park. So, yeah, that's a, that's a good topic. I wonder how many things Walt saw change and improve while he was right. still around. That's- interesting cake like the cutting. bra shop that's i wonder cute. what he thought about the bra shop leaving that's <laughs> right because that came and go so he did see that happen huh yeah um imagineer emil curl said walt told me the average factory worker or truck di- truck driver can't afford luxury for himself or his family so i want you to make the interior really luxurious even our prices are going to be cafeteria prices or even though our prices are going to be cafeteria prices wow okay so they need to send that quote over to the executives at the walt disney company because walt himself said it right here like this that shows what the experience is supposed to be like price wise and supposed to give you a luxurious experience on a cafeteria price. There we go. Whoops. So needless to say, they went full on luxury with the Plaza Inn remodel. And while they wanted to have the experience feel luxurious, they also wanted to keep it true to the times. So Emil Curl went shopping at thrift stores, antique stores, salvage yards, etc. to make sure to find all the items for Plaza Inn. So it's just... It's just so cool, like, thinking that wow. all those things weren't just, like, somebody built them in a shop and put them in Disneyland. They're, like, all from different places and all put together to make this new place to enjoy a meal with your family and friends. I just think that's really, really cool. So some of the items that he found included a 200-year-old French chandelier oh. um, from 1840. A hand-carved gilded Louis the Fifteenth clock from France. Wow! Like, what? Haunted, probably. <laughs> right, uh, circa seventeen hundred. Um, a French fruit wood cabinet, an eighteen twenties hand wrought iron and marble console, um, a seven uh, seventeen wall-mounted scones, and twenty-four basket chandeliers of Parisian bronze and baccarat crystal. Now, do you think they were putting pastries on the wall or light sconces? <laughs> what did I, did I say something wrong? Scones. Scones, scones, scones is what it looks like. It's okay. Wait, that stuff is still there, I think, right? Because when you walk in, yes. it's so luxurious. It feels like I'm in Hearst Castle or something. Right. And I yep. never appreciated it until as much as I did until right now when you're telling me how 
old these are actually real items. Exactly. What? It's so neat to think that they weren't just like faux, right? They're like real from these times. Okay. Thought that was really, really cool. Um, There's also a lamppost that they found in New Orleans in a courtyard um, that was then cast to create 17 identical uh, seven jet lampposts to use in the Plaza Inn courtyard and whatnot. So like, you know, they just took one and made copies of it, basically, because they loved it so much. Um, It gives off a rich Victorian feel, which always is assumed or I always assumed it was designed by Lillian. Uh, Disney, who's Walt's wife, uh, that just seemed to be her style, like those deep mm. reds and pinks. His apartment looks like that. There's the lily bell looks like that, Train. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I always thought it was just something that Lillian had designed, but evidently it's like going for the Victorian era, the 1890s, the gay 90s. <laughs> the gay 90s. So, yep. Um, I thought that was really interesting, too, because I, I just always imagined that. Uh, Some of the changes that they made with the Plaza Inn um, is that other than the decor, one of the things that was added was the open sky dining. So that big patio area outside um, where I personally go sneak to have a corn dog from the Red Wagon Inn a lot. Oh, are you supposed to like kind of not? (laughs) Oh, well. I think it's fine, right? I think all those are probably open to it, but it's like, yeah, it probably feels like it's supposed to be for Plaza Inn. Um, but this increased the capacity to 534 people at a time, like seating for 534. Wow. Isn't that crazy? I can't imagine. Like That's 500 people are just sitting there? Because that thing's packed all the time. Yeah, it is a lot. It's nuts. Um, over the years, they've also added special <clears throat> dining options at the Plaza Inn, such as the Fantasmic Dining Package, um, where you get to dine and then you have special seating for the oh, show. Oh, I didn't know they had that at that place. That's cool. Yeah. They also had um, a, a few of them, I think, like Magic Happens, I think, had one. I think they also had like Paint the Night, Magic, uh, Main Street Elect- Electrical Parade, stuff like that you could do at the Plaza Inn. Um, and then they also have a character breakfast there. So they've had that for a long time. It almost seems like I've seen pictures. There's actually a picture with... Um, oh, my God, Jamie Lee Curtis at Wait, a character breakfast when she was a child what halloween strikes again seems like right (laughs) it almost seems like it was their pre plaza inn but i don't think it was so it must have been early plaza inn days when she was there that is so cute and then now she's gonna be madame leota like full circle there that's so right right (laughs) all right so menu time because i know we all love looking at the menus they're so fun by the way uh shout out to jesquo she collects old Disneyland menus, and it's fascinating to just look through these. Like, what did oh. people eat at this time in America? And what were the prices? And I love that there's always, like, a bowl of Jello sold at some point like <gasps> yeah. in the 50s. That's so, like, Americana, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, so let's compare the open menu to today's. Their opening menu, sorry. So I had a hard time finding the menu that, like showed any pricing so they just had no pricing on it Mm. so i don't know if it was just a regular menu and then you would go in and there'd be pricing on the boards because this is still a walk up to this day right or a counter service um but it looks like one of those prefix menus so it may have just been for an event but they had a stuffed half spring chicken sirloin steak swordfish steak beef stroganoff and other things similar but guess what they didn't have Still no fried chicken? 
Nope. Jeez. Wow. Plaza Inn did not open with fried chicken. Um, and today, fried chicken is the main hit with other options like salad, pasta, pot roast, salmon, um, among the most popular things that people eat there. But isn't that crazy? Those were like... pretty, um, the ones that you just mentioned were, are pretty, what's the word, like kind of highbrow for cafeteria yeah. food in 1965. Cafeteria prices. Yeah. Swordfish? Like, I don't think I've ever <laughs> eaten swordfish. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what I have either. <laughs> is that considered... Is a swordfish a shark? I think it's a fish, and sharks are fish. Because there's... A sh- <laughs> I've had a shark steak before. But Ooh, wait, what's that? That might be illegal. What no. <laughs> did you go? Oh, shark they fin soup is illegal. Freaking market marketplace broiler or whatever that place is called <laughs> oh yes i remember Market that. Is that in fremont also yeah i remember that was it by the century movie theater domes over yep. there oh and my god i think it's still there i just got a flashback so weird. it's like a ghost town back there it's very weird um so some fun facts about the plaza inn um they used to have entertainment there as we were talking about earlier That's and they cool. called it plaza in entertainment what's more puns nice I love play it. on words um near the opening for a few years they had roaming entertainment they had the plaza in strings the blue bayou <gasps> orchestra there you go should have been in the blue bayou That's what. like what the heck were they doing over there <laughs> disneyland christmas carolers and the plaza in accordionist which i would wow. love to watch right now that's fun Yep. And then uh, Disney History 101 on YouTube has so many fun videos. I suggest like watching through them. That's where I got a lot of my information from for this. Um, but oh, I, I talk about that here. They have a uh, photo of the Scream Queen, a.k.a. Madame Leota herself, Jamie Lee Curtis at Character Breakfast. Which oh, I so earlier. that's How where fun. it happened. Interesting. Yep. Oh, so there's videos of some of this. You said, what is the channel? Uh, Disney History 101. Does it have video of any of the musicians playing? No. Right? No. 1965. I don't, it was only a few years they had music. What you know did they what? use back then, Cam? I am totally <laughs> screwing up. It was not YouTube. It was, it's just a website. So everything was photos. There was oh, not videos. Okay. Yeah. Mandela so that effect. That makes more sense. Huh? Mandela in your mind, right, you yeah. saw the whole thing. I also watched many videos about the plaza, and so I'm getting my stuff all mixed up, but. Are there videos um, from the 1960s? I feel real dumb right now. Like, what did they use? They had... They had those... I think... I, I'm not sure, actually. But you remember the cameras where they had to, like, oh, crank hand it? crank it. <laughs> Is that too far back? I don't know. I'm, I'm picturing... I think I'm going way too far back, too. I'm thinking of where the, the powder, the gunpowder came out of the... Wait a... <laughs> they, they put the sheet over the camera and the gunpowder comes out. Was that gunpowder? I don't know what it was. <laughs> Camera powder. I think it was just the flash. Wasn't it the flash that would go, Boom. like it would explode every time or yeah. something? That's what my imagination said, at least. Who knows what it really is. Um, I'm remembering my brother's videos as as like a child, but that was the early 70s. And they had those, um, what are those reel-to-reel oh. things? Oh, 16 millimeter? Yes. Yes. Oh, there's, yeah, that makes sense because that's where you so get a lot of those, those scary old things. Yeah. yeah. Things, murders and weird things. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so, fun, another fun fact is that rumor eight has it that Walt. Eight millimeter. Huh? Sorry, I'm still thinking about the film. <laughs> Maybe oh. it's eight millimeter. I don't know. 
Wait, eight millimeter was us though, right? On like the little cameras, eight millimeter. I think so. There's a scary movie with Nick Cage about these old foot found footage. Oh, eight millimeter. Right? Yeah, that was. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, oh my continue. Gosh. I'm sorry. Okay, rumor has it Walt had a favorite table at the Plaza Inn. Oh. Um, yeah, like if anybody knows about the Tam O'Shanter, this is a restaurant up in uh, near the Walt Disney Studios. He also had a favorite table there, but it's like a thing there. Like the there's supposedly carvings, which I want to believe so much. However, a lot of people are saying they're fake, but I think they're real. <laughs> but there are carvings in the table that supposedly Imagineers did, where they like drew into the table. Who knows? Oh. But it has a little like signage on it that says Walt's table and everything. It's a whole thing at that place. However, the Plaza Inn, they don't say anything about it. And I never heard about it until I did this research. So now I need to dig in. Oh, we have to eat. We do have to eat at that table, though. We need to find out where it is. We do. We do. Yeah. So anyway, that's it for the Plaza Inn. But I just wanted to say that, can you believe they did all of this work just for a restaurant? I love it. This is Imagineering it. at its, you know, at its peak. It is. At its, it's like perfect proof that Imagineers never leave a detail behind. Like they really go out of their way to make sure that it fits the theme, fits the timing. They get the real items, not just build their own. Like sometimes they will, but like they'll, they try and they do their research. And it's just really cool that even the Plaza Inn has all this deep history into it. So next time you get to dine there. Take some time. Look around. Look up. Lots of people forget to look, look up. Look up at those beautiful look chandeliers. Up. Look down and admire all the work that you may not have noticed before. I'm always going to remember this quote now that you mentioned that was told to that Imagineer. I mean, that is just the perfect encapsulation of what value is. It was supposed right. to be luxurious at cafeteria-style prices. And you like know, people how- go to Disney for high-quality stuff, not to pay a lot. <laughs> right. It's like so caring that he he thought like, hey, we're going to have I like he wants to have it's not just like, oh, we're going to end up with these people. He's like, we want everyone to feel included and we want to give these people who can't normally afford this still a luxurious experience. And I just think that is so awesome. Like, ugh, it is. Love it that is. so much. Gosh, so we have a lot of things to do next. Well, you're going to be there before I'm ever there. So Plaza Inn, report back on what you see. Maybe you'll get a glimpse of the Walt Disney private dining room. Um, But I loved the deep dive. We also got to talk to Chef Dave today, which was great, and hear all his insights and uh, learn about what he thinks when it comes to food and food operations. We love that stuff. Hope you loved my foodie game we played. And, of course, we had that little Halloween recap at the beginning of the episode, which is nice, moving into, what, Thanksgiving and Christmas pretty soon. Yep, holiday season is officially on. And thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed episode 109 of the Disneyholics show. Follow us on social media at the Disneyholics. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, send us a message on Instagram or email us at fanmail at thedisneyholics.com. Okay, bye. Won't you send it down the line? Hey, everyone's talking about chicken. Chicken's a popular word. But anywhere you go, you're bound to find a chicken ain't nothing but a bird. Some people call it a fowl. That's the story I heard. But let them call it this and let them call it that A chicken ain't nothing but a bird You can boil it, roast it, broil it Cook it in a pan or a pot Eat it with potatoes, rice or tomatoes A chicken's still what you got
it was a dish for old Caesar, also King Henry III. But Columbus was smart, said you can't fool me, a chicken ain't nothing but a bird. Man, I really want to go to Disneyland.